0: Welcome to the Close But No Cigar Sports Podcast, the podcast where we delve into the stories of sports teams and athletes that came close to glory but never won the big one. All of these teams still deserve to be recognized, and whether they were undone by bad timing, injuries, hubris, or just plain bad luck, they all have a tale worth telling. I'm your host, Gen Xer and sports geek Peter Shaw. Now, usually I like to have a co-host who has some expertise, passion, or and or other knowledge uh, with a team I'm going to discuss. But today I'm going to do the 1988 to 1998 Utah Jazz, and I'm going to go solo like Amelia Earhart because I cannot find anyone who is a jazz fan that I know. Now, I know that 1988 to 1980, 1998 is a huge window, but stay tuned and you'll hear why I chose it. So let's start off with the backstory. The NBA's Utah Jazz began as an expansion team in New Orleans, the New Orleans Jazz, beginning in 1974 and 1975. Now, New Orleans is obviously the birthplace of jazz, and basketball, we know, requires a lot of improvisation like jazz, so this name made complete sense. They even had a Mardi Gras color scheme of purple, green, and gold, so it was a completely logical name. Like most expansion teams, they started off poorly, but try to shake things up a little bit by trading for Atlanta Hawks star Pistol Pete Maravich. Now, Pistol Pete played at LSU, where he led the nation in scoring as a college player with over 42 points per game over his three years in Baton Rouge. Pretty frickin' impressive. He was quite the legend, obviously, already in the in the Pelican State, even though he hailed from Aliquippa, PA, the same town that brought us Mike Ditka. So, for Pete... The Jazz gave up two first-round draft picks, three second-round draft picks, one third-round draft pick, all spread out over the next three years. Now, Pete, as always, with his socks uh, pulled up high or drooping low, was very entertaining in improvisation with no-look passes, amazing shots, and drives to the hoop, but he could not lift the team out of mediocrity during his tenure. He led the league in scoring one year and led them to their best record while in New Orleans at 39 wins and 43 losses, but the success really ended there. Now, the team had pretty decent attendance, but financially, they were doing poorly, and for that reason, they decided to relocate to one of the least jazzy major cities in the United States, Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, before you start to pile on and bring that hate to the next level about Utah supporting a hoops team, Salt Lake City did support a pro ball team before with ABA's Utah Stars from 1970 to 1976, and that team even won an ABA championship while in Utah. So back to Utah's NBA team. So the story goes, why did they have this name? Well, they decided to move the team to Utah but kept the name Jazz because it was not enough time to get the name change approved by the NBA before the 79 to 80 season. Now, that may have been okay for one year, but I'm not sure what kept them from changing it afterwards. It's like having baby boy Smith on a birth certificate and then just never changing it to Joey Smith, even though you want to name him Joey. Now they had the least appropriate nickname since the Lakers moved from Minneapolis to L.A., Minnesota being in the land of ten thousand lakes and L.A. being the land of twenty-two lakes. Now the newly crowned Utah Jazz started off much like the New Orleans Jazz did, but after four years of poor play, they began a remarkable run where they did not finish below 500 from 1983-84 season through the 2004-2005 season and they only missed the playoff once during that time, which is a pretty amazing run. Their early success was under a very funny, schleppy guy named Frank Layden, who used to make fun of himself and said, Pat Riley, who was a dapper coach of the Lakers at the time, buys clothes, and I find mine. During a blowout loss, he left the bench saying, Everyone's leaving. What am I doing here? So under Frank Layden, who obviously had a little bit of comic relief, They never get past the second round of the Western Conference playoffs, so the last laugh really was on them and him. Uh, He went on to do nothing for the Knicks down the road. This totally changed when he was replaced in 1988 by the late, great Jerry Sloan. Now, Jerry Sloan was a scrappy, intense former Chicago Bulls player who actually played on the first Bulls team ever in 1966-67 and stayed there for 10 out of his 11 years that he played in the NBA. He was an all-NBA defensive player six times and was an all-star twice, but we'll come back to the Bulls later. Um, Around that time, Sloan took over. The Jazz made the playoffs until 2003 and 2004. Now, we don't have the time and I don't have the stamina to go into all of their seasons in detail, but we're going to focus on the years that built up to them coming closest to winning the NBA title. They had point guard John Stockton, who they drafted in 1984 out of little-known Gonzaga University. And then a year later, they uh, drafted his partner in crime and the king of the pick-and-roll with him, uh, power forward Carl the Mailman Malone out of little-known Louisiana Tech. Now, they formed the team's foundation for years, with Stockton playing his entire career in Utah and Malone playing all but one. Another important foundation for this jazz team was already in place after they drafted seven foot four, two hundred seventy-five pound man, Martin, man Mountain, I should say, Mark Eaton at UCLA. And he was a big, bearded Bruin center, much like Bill Walton, his predecessor, um, but much less versatile offensively, but also much less prone to injury and much less prone to smoking pot and falling the dead. Both Walton and Eaton were on the all-defensive team twice during their careers, but Eaton would go on to block 2,000 more shots than Walton in his career while seeing many less Grateful Dead shows. Another important cog was the addition in 1983 um, of versatile forward Thurl, not Pearl Bailey. For those scoring at home, Pearl Bailey was a great singer and actress who won a Tony Award in 1968 for Hello, Dolly! Thoreau was drafted out of NC State after being one of those heroic Wolfpack heroes uh, during their improbable Jim Valvano-led run to the NCAA Finals and victory over the heavily favored Houston Cougars led by the Phi Slamma-Jamma fraternity. So there you have it. Laying the table out there. You have a superb point guard, a scoring machine power forward, a very solid small forward, and a gigantic defensive center. They were all coached by a gritty, intelligent basketball mind. So you're thinking to yourself at this point in the story, not a a bad way to build up an NBA dynasty. Now, let's get to the meat of the story. 1988-1989 season, they went 51-31, and and they came in first place in the Midwest Division with Stockton and Malone just leading the way with Thurl Bailey uh, being their number three scorer. Unfortunately, they were swept by the Golden State Warriors 3-0. to This team was led by Chris Mullen and Mitch Richmond and 7-6 Manute bowl, who didn't score much but got 18 blocks in the three-game sweep. So not too bad, big man. Now let's move on to the 1989-1990 season. Now this team drafted the awesomely nicknamed Blue Edwards out of East Carolina in the first round, and he instantly was a solid contributor in the scoring column. Now, this team would go on to win four more games, 55 games, but they came in second behind the David Robinson and Terry Cummings-led San Antonio Spurs. They were the four seed in the playoffs, and in the first round, they drew the Phoenix Suns. The Suns at this point were a very high-scoring team. They had six players averaging double figures. They had Tom Chambers, Kevin Johnson, who was the future mayor of Sacramento, future NBA coach Jeff Hornacek. Eddie Johnson, well-tanned Thunder Dan Marley, and Mark West. It's probably more than you needed to know at this point, but this team could really fill up the bucket, and that's what they did, beating Utah in five games, 3-2, to despite not having the home court advantage. Now, these Suns would go deep into the playoffs, eventually losing to the Trail Blazers in the Western Conference Finals in six games. Those Blazers would have the distinct pleasure of losing to the Bad Boys Detroit Pistons in the NBA Finals. Now, moving on to the 1990 91 season, the Jazz needed something to spice up the team and take them further into the postseason. Of course, they didn't mess with their key ingredients of Stockton, Malone, Bailey, and Eaton, but to add more scoring punch to compete with teams like the Suns, they signed another Malone, Jeff Malone. Now, he was uh, playing for the Washington team when they were still called the Bullets. Now, Jeff was a proven scorer from shooting guard position, averaging over 20 points a game during his seven years in Washington. So they were happy to have some extra points um, coming from him. The team over that year won one less game, but ended up being second in the conference. Um, and we're now the fifth playoff um, playoff seed and faced the Phoenix Suns on the road in the first round. I should say they were second in their division. So they played with a bit of a chip on their shoulder after having lost to Phoenix the year before and beat Phoenix on the road in game one and didn't really look back, winning the uh, best of five in four games and clinching it in the Delta Center in Salt Lake City. And the only game Phoenix won in the series when Jeff Hornacek, who I'd mentioned earlier, the shooting guard went off for 25 points. Hmm, maybe that guy could be useful someday. Now in the next round, this JS team ran up against a well-balanced trailblazer team, who had home court advantage. The Blazers were still stinging from the finals lost the previous year, um, and they had the best record in the NBA during the regular season with 63 wins, so impressive. They had seven guys who averaged 10 points or more and put out a starting five of Terry Porter, Faisalama Majama, alum, Clyde Drexler, Buck Williams, Jerome Kersey, and the massive Kevin Duckworth. Clyde would have his belated revenge on Thurl Bailey, winning the series 4-1. to one. And The first game was a 20-point Blazer blowout, but every other game was tight. But the Jazz just didn't have enough in the tank to top Rip City. Moving on to the 91-92 season, Blue Edwards uh, supplanted Thurl Bailey as a starter. And then Thurl would be shipped off to Minnesota to the Timberwolves. The Malone and Malone tandem was, uh, was very productive, and they combined for over 48 points per game. And the Jazz actually won 55 games that year and made it look easy. But they did need all five games to get by a scrappy L.A. Clippers team in the first round of the playoffs with the home team winning every game. And those Clippers were led by Danny Manning, Doc Rivers, Charles Smith, who would go on to disappoint Knicks fans years later, and Ron Harper, who would go on to win three NBA titles with the Bulls. Now, they moved on to the next round where they had the pleasure of playing the Seattle Supersonics. Um, who uh, coach George Carl took over midway through the season and led them right into the playoffs. Now, these Sonics, who should still be in Seattle and not the Thunder, were balanced by a bunch of older players. They had two two, two 32-year-olds in one-time buck stud Ricky Pierce and journeyman Eddie Johnson, but they also had young guns Gary Payton and rain man Sean Kemp, and those two were just getting their careers going. But the Jazz had more seasoning, more experience, and he dispensed with them in the best of seven in five games. So see you next year, kids. Now, in the Western Conference Finals, the Jazz squared off against the Trailblazers again for the second straight year. The Jazz desperately wanted to punch their ticket to the finals against a defending champion, Chicago Bulls, and some guy named Jordan, who the Blazers uh, should have drafted ahead of Sam Bowie. But that is another tragic story. So Terry Porter led the Blazers that year. He was a tough-as-nails veteran point guard out of Hoops Powerhouse, University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, who has never produced another NBA player and never did before that. So Terry Porter scored 26 points a game for the six-game series, eight points above his season average, so he brought his A game. And this team was just two years removed from getting spanked by the Pistons in the finals, but they were hungry to get back to the finals. You also had Clyde the Glide, who is his smooth self, And former Celtic and Blue Jay, Danny Ainge, in the twilight of his career, had a really solid series. He was all over the floor getting loose balls. So what happened in the end, the Blazers ended up winning in six, taking the last game in Salt Lake City in front of a devastated home crowd. Now this was the aging Blazers' core's last hurrah. They made it to the finals where they were really quite valiant, but his earnest put up almost 36 points a game. And the Bulls were not to be denied by these Blazers winning the NBA Finals in six games. Moving on to 92-93. Now, the Jazz, who seemed to be uh, climbing up the mountain, uh, took a step back this season. They scored less. They let up more. They only won 47 games, which for a lot of NBA teams would be great. But for them, it was a little bit of a letdown by their standards, and they finished third in the division. They got Tyrone Corbin from Minnesota. He came in from the bench to become a starter and started 58 games, and became a junior associate in the law firm of Malone, Malone and Stockton, and added 12 points per game to their uh, to their tally. So sadly, that was not really enough, and the Jazz flamed out in the first round of the playoffs versus a very uh, well balanced and improving Sonics team. The Jazz were actually up two to one after three games and could have closed out the best of five series at home, but failed to do so. That game was actually tied at halftime, but the Sonics outscored the homies by 13 in the second half to send the series back to Seattle, where they won the fifth and decisive game with a 70-point second half after starting slowly. So um, in that game, big smooth Sam Perkins led the Sonics with 13 boards and 20 points, including four out of eight from beyond the arc. Now, he was not the last former Tar Heel to be the Achilles heel of these Utah Jazz, however. Now, at the end of the season, a lot of people were thinking to themselves, was the door closing on this talented Jazz team? Could they actually get off the mat after such a disappointing end of the season when they really were on the verge of knocking the Sonics out? On to 93 and 94. So during this offseason, defensive stalwart Mark Eaton retired to go be tall somewhere else, and the Jazz looked to build the offense, and they brought in University of Ute alum. Uh, You got to say it like Joel Pesci and my cousin Vinny, two Utes. Tom Chambers. Now, Tom Chambers was an aging free agent. He had been an all-star for the Sonics and Suns, but he was also a big ball hog. He averaged 18 points for his career, yet only two assists. But he did bring some double-digit scoring to his two seasons in Utah when he was age 34 and 35, so I'll give him some props. I mean, I wasn't putting up double figures consistently in my JCC adult basketball league in Pittsburgh at that age, so I really can't do talk too much trash about Mr. Tom Chambers. Thankfully, Stockton was still passing the ball all over the place, led the league in assists for the seventh straight year. The mailman was still scoring. He passed 19,000 points for his career that year. Both were all-stars, so you know you could rely on those two. But But the big turning point that season was in the middle of the year, the Jazz decided to trade Jeff Malone to the 76ers for former son, Jeff Hornacek. Now, as soon as Horny joined the Jazz, the team went on a 10-game winning streak and won I mean, 9 out of 11 to close out the season, 53-29. and 29. They ended up only third in the division in a five-seed, but they were really starting to peak at the right time. Now, they played the Spurs in round one in a best-of-five. These Spurs were red, led by a, the Admiral, David Robinson, who I met once, and he is immense in person as he looks on TV, Dale Ellis, and newest acquisition, Dennis Rodman, who led the league in boards. I honestly don't remember what color Rodman's hair was that year, so forgive me. The Jazz dropped the first game at the Alamo Dome, but then went on to sweep the rest of the games with six-man Jay Humphreys blowing up for 25 points in Game 2. Game 3 was a 33-point Jazz blowout a win, and they clinched in a, close, in a much closer game, Game 4, in Utah. So their second-round opponent that year. Seems like they're playing the same teams every year, but this year they were playing the surprising Denver Nuggets. Now, the Nuggets were the 8th seed that year, and they ended up shocking the number one seed Seattle in the first round with a 3-2 to two series win. There's that famous image of Jubilant center Dikembi Matumbo lying on his back, holding the ball, grinning from ear to ear. That a lot of people link with that upset. Now besides Matumbo wagging his finger after every block, they had a young and balanced team with no real true star. They had Mahmoud abdul rauf Lafonso Ellis, Brian Stith, Reggie Williams, and Robert Pack. But you would think they would they would roll over after an exhausting five-game series, and they were down 3-0 to the Jazz after the first three games. But they fought back, actually, and forced a Game 7, which the Jazz finally won by 10 when the clock struck 12 on those nuggety little nuggets. Now on to the Western Conference Final. In the Western Conference Final, the Jazz found themselves against a tough and committed Houston Rockets team. This was just before they changed their uniform to an ugly pseudo-pinstripe with an angry rocket on the front. And they still had kind of that cool uh, white jersey with red letters. Sorry, I guess I'm a little obsessed with uniforms. so I may make comments from time to time. Those Rockets were a real force to be reckoned with. They had Hall of Famer Hakeem Olajuwon, and he led a team that was stocked top to bottom with talent. They had Kenny Smith before he was a smooth NBA announcer. The mercurial and sometimes uh, brutal Vernon Maxwell called Mad Max. Big shot Robert Horry. The unattractive but amazingly gritty Sam Cassell, who always seemed to make a play when you needed it, and durable veterans Otis Thorpe and Mario Ellie from Queens, New York. Sadly for the Jazz, the Nuggets series took the fight right out of them, and they lost to the eventual NBA champions in five games. So the Rockets took out the Jazz in five, and these Rockets would go out to grind out a seven-game series win over the New York Knicks and crush the soul of that city. But that's another no-cigar story for another day. Moving on to the 94-95 season, perennial All-Stars Mullen and Stockton continue to roll with a stable roster, and they even added beefy forward Antoine Carr. This team cruised to a 60-win season and had the third-best record in the conference. In the first round, they would go on to host the defending champion Rockets for a chance at revenge, a dish best served cold. The Rockets had traded Otis Thorpe to Portland midway through the year for Hakeem's teammate in college, Clyde Drexler, who could still put up 20 points per game. But the Rockets really had a poor second half of the season, and they were only a sixth seed coming into the playoffs, even though they were the defending NBA champs. Now, this series was a real clash of scoring titans because Malone averaged over 30 points per game for the series, while Hakeem averaged 35 points per game in a real duel. The Jazz were up two games to one but in Game 4, Drexler exploded with 41 points to take to take them down in Game 4, so it was tied 2-2. Game 5 was back at the Delta Center, and that was tight, but the visiting Rockets took the series lead behind Olajuwon's 33 points and Drexler's 31. So I guess revenge would not be on today's menu. The Jazz were being undone by a suddenly hot Rockets team who would go on to win the series. Now, those Rockets would go on actually to win their second consecutive and to date only NBA crown with a sweep over the hyped up and very young Orlando Magic, who is led by Shaq, Penny, and my personal favorite player on that team, Lil Penny. On to the 95-96 season, and you're thinking to yourself, how much longer can Stockton and Malone keep this up? They still had Hornichek, so their run of regular season success would continue. They were nostalgic for a big beefy man in the middle like Mark Eaton, so the Jazz added some U.S. prime beef in the middle with their only draft pick that year, and they took 7-2 Kansas center Greg Ostertag, big dude with a cool crew cut. They tweaked the lineup a little bit, but nothing really was noteworthy except maybe signing aging former net Chris Morris. And we all know that nets get better with age, much like a fine wine. A real model of constancy, they won 55 games that year and were a three seed in the playoffs. In round one, they faced a new look Blazers, but they beat them in five with the home team winning every game. And these Port- Portlanders had a 31-year-old future Hall of Famer, Arvidas Sabonis, who was playing his first year in the NBA after a very strong international career and in the Olympics. They also had Hot Rod Strickland, former DePaul player, um, and the late Cliff Robinson, who would sadly died recently. Now, round two, the Jazz were facing the higher-seeded Spurs. The first game, they ended up just punching the Spurs in the mouth in the Alamo Dome, and they won by 20. And they took control of the series right there in one in six games. So the Jazz were now returning to the Western Conference Final for the third time in five years. And like the old cliche, will the third time be a charm? Now, if they were going to get into their first NBA Finals, they would have to go through number one seed Seattle. The Sonics starting five was Gary the Goleith Payton, who had become one of the best, if not the best, defenders in the NBA. Sean Kemp, the Rain Man. Bradley Hoops legend and former 76er Hersey Hawkins, the other Irvin Johnson, not Magic, and the all NBA six man selection Detlef Shrimp. They even had a dose of big smooth Sam Perkins off the bench if you needed a smoothie to hit a three. Now the Sonics won game one over Jazz, the Jazz who came out flat, so to speak. I kind of made it funny and a 30-point blowout, 102-72. to 72. Not even a trip to the Space Needle uh, could take the sting out of that loss. Now, Game 2 in Seattle saw the Jazz stop the bleeding with a much tighter performance. They led 73-65 to 65 going into the fourth quarter, but once again fell flat and lost by four points after only mustering 14 points in the final stanza. So now the Jazz were down 2-0. And they were heading back to Utah. But the Jazz did get off the mat, wiped themselves off, and blew uh, Seattle out of the building with a 20-point blowout win. But unfortunately, the Sonics took the next game by two in a, in a thriller. So now the Jazz found themselves in a 3-1 hole. They somehow clawed their way back to a tight game five win by um, Malone, Hornacek Carr, and Brian Russell along with Hornacek hit a few key threes down the stretch. The Jazz took this momentum back home and blew the doors off the Sonics again with a 35-point beatdown. So now the series was going back to Seattle for some Starbucks and a decisive Game 7. The big question was, could the Jazz make tears rain down on the Sonics? Game 7 was a chance to right some wrongs. This was Stockton's 12th year with the team and Malone's 11th, and the big question was could they get over the last hurdle and into the finals finally. The Jazz's big three all played 40 or more minutes, with Malone playing 45 out of 48 minutes. Unfortunately, it was not the mailman's night. He only went 8 for 22 from the floor, which resulted in 22 more points, which would be great for most people, but were really meager by his lofty standards, he had set. Now Stockton also put up 22 points, which is great for him. But this game with, with Malone uh, not playing at his best was a bridge too far for them. And the Sonics won 90-86 to 86 for the privilege to go play Jordan's Bulls in the finals where they lost. That's it for part one of the 1988-1998 to 1998 Utah Jazz Close But No Cigar Sports Podcast. Stay tuned and come back next week for part two where we will start with the 1996 to 1997 season. Remember, to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes that come out weekly. Peace out. The Close But No Cigar Sports Podcast is a Pug and Monkey production. As always, we'd like to thank Lobo and his band Checky Brown for letting us use their song Hippie Bully as our intro and outro.